Have you ever fallen for the trap of thinking, if only I could change this part of my life, I would be able to do more of this? So here's an example. How many of you have thought, if I only could retire, I would have more time to read my Bible? (laughs) I'm guessing that those of you who are retired will tell you, don't count on it. (laughs) That's the way that we tend to think. I, I do read my Bible a lot. I will tell you, though, that it was easier for me to find time to read my Bible before I was a pastor than after becoming a pastor. Changing your life status or what position you have in life is not going to change how much time you have for something. What's going to matter, what's going to make the difference is determining to make it part of who you are now, here and now. Who you are here and now is going to be the thing that makes the difference. And so today we're going to talk about identity in Christ. How do we put our identity in Christ? Because that is where it needs to be. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start, though, with our scripture memory verse. Our scripture memory verse of the month is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. So I want to invite you, if you will read this with me, 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. God has called us, and we are to live in the position in which he has called us. I want you to remember the book of 1 Corinthians. We have been studying this this year. We took a little bit of a break over the summer, but we're back into it. And last week, we studied chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. And this week, we're going to continue on in chapter 7. But remember the problem that the Corinthians faced. It was a problem of factionalism. Factionalism being some groups in the church in Corinth said, we follow the teaching of Paul, and he knows what he's doing, so we're very spiritual people. Others said, well, we follow Apollos, and so we're really spiritual people. And then someone said, well, I've got you all beat. I follow Christ, and so I'm the most spiritual. (laughs) Paul says, no, knock it off. Stop putting yourself in these factions. Stop putting yourself on a pedestal. Stop thinking that you've got some special level of wisdom because of some aspect of who you are. Factionalism resulted in all sorts of problems, all sorts of unity problems, but it also caused a significant problem for the church in Corinth. Because if you look at another faction and they tell you that they're better than you and they tell you that they know more than you and you start to believe it, you want to know what you do? You start trying to join that faction. And you start trying to change things about yourself that have nothing to do with the spirit and have everything to do with your social economic status, so you can start to look like somebody over in this group here. What we're going to see today is God knows what he's doing. He has called you to himself. He has called you to Christ. And he called you as the person that you are. What he cares about is not your status. It is your obedience. Anything else should never take priority over our identity in Christ. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17. 
says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Sorry, I skipped over. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So let's break down the text and let's apply it to our lives. The first thing that we have in the text, the first thing comes from verse 17. And what we're given is a universal rule, something that applies across the board. That rule is that God knew what he was doing when he called you to salvation. God knew what he was doing. There's several facts that we can add together in order to come to this conclusion. The first fact is that God's sovereignty means he can assign you where he wants. God is sovereign, so he puts you where he wants because he has the right to do that as your creator, as your God. Paul starts off this verse, the NIV translates it as nevertheless. That's a little bit of a sharp transition, uh, probably a little too strong. It might be better to translate that word nevertheless as just keep in mind. Just bear in mind. What is it that we're just to always keep at the back of our minds? Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation together in the church. We are to have in the back of our minds this idea that God put me here in my situation in this church, serving in this capacity for a reason. That's supposed to always be at the back of our minds. Just keep in mind, each of us should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. God put us here for a reason. Paul follows this up in chapter 12. We're going to get there in a while. But In chapter 12, verse 18, Paul actually speaks about this when he says, but in fact, God placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God placed you as your part of the body of believers, just as he wanted you to be. See, God is sovereign. He knows what he is doing. Further on in verse 17, The second fact that I pull out of this verse is that God calls people to himself with purpose. Just as God called them. God calls people with purpose. He knew what he was doing. He had a purpose in mind when he called you. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't random chance that God put you here Now, God has purpose in his use of each of us. 
And then the last part of verse 17. God's sovereignty applies to all Christians. Look what Paul says. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. In other words, what Paul is saying is this idea that God called you and put you in a specific place with specific circumstances for a specific purpose, this is not something that was just unique to Corinth. Paul's not saying, you Corinth are different. God really, really worked hard to put you here. No, Paul says this is the rule that he's laid out in all of the churches. Across the board, this is a universal rule. God knew what he was doing when he called you to salvation. It's a statement of authority. What Paul's really saying is, hey, this applies to you too. This is something you should pay attention to. When we follow Christ, when God calls us to Christ, we accept that Jesus died on the cross as our personal savior. We commit ourselves to following Christ. Our identity is supposed to change. Our identity is supposed to be that of somebody who belongs exclusively and completely to Christ. As a result, God gets the right to assign us, sovereignly assign us where he wants us. And there are some immediate applications, just in verse 17. I'll give you the first one. You don't have to be a pastor to have a close relationship with Jesus. No, God called you for a purpose. You don't need to have come from a Christian family to have a close relationship with Jesus. You don't need to be married to have a close relationship with Jesus. You don't need to have kids to have a close relationship with Jesus. You don't have to have money to have a close relationship with Jesus. You don't have to be poor to have a close relationship with Jesus. All of those aspects of life that kind of make life interesting aren't important for our relationship with Jesus. Yes, they make life interesting. We thank God that he has made each of us different and uniquely made us and given us these different situations in life, but they don't change the fact that Jesus wants a close relationship with you. So let me give us an action step that we can all apply. Ask yourself, what does it look like to live as a Christ follower in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to you? What does it look like to follow Christ regardless of the situation in which you find yourself? That's what we're aiming for. To follow Christ regardless of your circumstances. Let me give you another application that really comes out of the text in verses 18 through 20. Here's an immediate application that, that really Paul even goes for. It says, Don't let who you were interfere with your present call to obedience. You've been called to Christ. Don't let who you were in the past interfere with your call to obedience. And he gives a really specific example, a really specific example that he really drills in on. And that example is circumcision. So we're going to need to dig into the culture surrounding circumcision to understand this passage. So circumcision was a mark of somebody as either a Jew or not a Jew. Circumcision was something that marked someone as a Jew 
or not a Jew. And culture was different in the Greco-Roman world, and in particular in the city of Corinth. So how was culture different? Well, athletes competed naked. Okay? So if you went to a sporting event, you would see naked people running around. That's just how it worked. Their culture was different. All of the kids in sports are kind of weirded out now. <laughs> also, okay, not just kids be weirded out. Here we go. Also, for all the adults, there were public baths. And you went to the public bath and you made business transactions at the public bath. And you didn't wear a bathing suit. Okay? That's how their culture worked. Actually, even small villages had public baths. It was the common communal place where people would gather. So, what does this mean? Your circumcision or uncircumcision was not a secret. Everybody knew. And the Greeks were appalled by circumcision. They found it to be something awful. So much so that it records in First and Second Maccabees, not in the Bible, but in an extra historical document, that Jews would regularly undergo a surgery to reverse their circumcision because they wanted to be able to be part of the up-and-coming culture. So, have that context in mind when we look at verses 18 through 20. When Paul says, was a man already circumcised? Were you already a Jew before you came to Christ? Don't go be uncircumcised because you came to Christ. Your past, don't change your past. Don't try to change who you were. Were you uncircumcised? Don't go and try to get circumcised just because you came to Christ. Forget who you were in the past. It's irrelevant to what really matters, which is your obedience. Paul really goes for it here. He really attacks the issue, which is that people were trying to change who they were in order to better fit in in the church in Corinth. So how are we going to apply this to ourselves? My first point, or sub-point here, you may have lived a very sinful life before you came to know Christ. Just like the Gentile who was never circumcised, who never knew of God before, and comes to know Christ and is now part of this Corinthian church, you may be that person that you knew nothing of Christ until later in life. You knew nothing of Christ until later in life. And you ask yourself, oh, my life would be so much better if I had learned of Christ back when I was a kid. And to that, the Apostle Paul says, don't worry about it. Stop being concerned with that. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. What matters is, are you obedient today? Are you being obedient to Christ today? That's what Christ cares about. Someone else says, well, I lived a good life. You know, I grew up in the church, and I never got involved in all of the, the trash of the world. <coughs> but I haven't experienced much. You know, I haven't gotten to experience the world. Paul says, stop thinking about it. Stop worrying about it. If you came from a good life, great. But don't worry about that past life. The focus today 
is on obedience to Christ. Either way, whether you grew up in the church, whether you grew up apart from the church, the call that Christ has placed on your life demands your obedience today. By the way, I hope that's a freeing statement. The call that Christ placed on your life doesn't care what's in the past. It cares about your obedience today. How many of you have had an event in life where you wish you could just hit the reset button? That's what Christ offers for us today. Hit the reset and obey today. That's the offer that Christ is making. So let me give you an action step. Ask yourself, how can I use my past to serve Christ? And you're going to say, wait a second, I thought you just said my past is irrelevant. (laughs) Yes, it's irrelevant to your status before God. But can you use it as a tool to reach Christ? Can you use it as a tool to lead others to Christ? Maybe you didn't grow up in the church and you know what it's like in the world and you can explain to the teens the mistakes that you made and how those mistakes were devastating in your life. Maybe you grew up in the church and you know what it's like to grow up following mom and dad's rules and seeing everybody else get away with everything. And you can speak to the children and tell them it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Maybe you grew up in the world and you know somebody else that is struggling with those same issues of the world and you can tell them how Christ changed your life. Ask yourself, how can I use my past to serve Christ? That would be obedience. That would be not allowing the past to interfere with your present call to obedience. Let's move on to verses 21 through 23. In verses 21 through 23, we're going to learn a general principle. The general principle is don't let your present circumstances take priority over service to your Savior. Verse 21 is a very challenging verse. It says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Slavery in the Roman world was a big deal. It was a really big deal. Actually, uh, to give you an idea... Some, some people think as many as half of the people in the Roman world were slaves. As many as half of the people. In uh, about the time the Bible was written, just a little before the Bible was written, the Roman Senate actually was debating a law that had been proposed. The law that had been proposed was that slaves had to wear a different color of garment or a different type of garment than the rest of the people. So that was the law that had been proposed. All slaves needed to wear something that would distinguish them so that you could tell the difference between a free man and a slave. 
uh, Seneca, one of the senators, uh, historian, reports that as they were debating it, they finally rejected this law. And the reason they rejected it is because they realized that if they made all the slaves wear different clothing, the slaves would actually realize how many of them there were and overthrow the Roman Empire. There were a lot of slaves. Your average person, you had a 50-50 chance shaking somebody's hand of shaking the hand of a slave. Lots of slaves, big deal. So Paul is not writing to just a small little group when he says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. But there was a path to freedom for slaves. You see, a slave could purchase their freedom. Or what would often happen is they would work so hard for somebody that that person, out of a gratitude, a show of appreciation, would purchase their freedom or set them free. The ideal, cultural ideal, that a slave had was to reach the point where they could earn their freedom by the age of 30. That was considered like you had, you had done your best. If you could reach freedom by the age of 30. So it was very common for a slave to put their entire young adult life into this single act of trying to reach freedom by the age of 30. Major concern. The Apostle Paul writes, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. He's not saying slavery is good. No. In fact, slavery is really an abomination to being created in the image of God. Slavery is is awful, and we should have nothing to do with it. But Paul here is saying, if you are a slave... Don't let it be your primary concern. Why? Because your identity is not that of a slave. Your identity is Christ. Your present circumstances, regardless of what they are, should not consume you. They shouldn't consume you. You may be in a position where life is really good, wonderful. You may be in a position where you're struggling in life. Paul's answer is don't let it consume you. We'll get to the next part in just a minute. But what should consume you is your identity in Christ. 21b, the second half of 21 through 22, continues on. It says, if you can improve your your current circumstances then you should do so. If you can improve it, do so. It's okay for life to get better. He says, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. To the slave, they are not to be consumed by earning their freedom. But if the opportunity arises, it's okay. Go ahead and do that. Why? Simple. Your identity is in Christ you might have more opportunity, more freedom to serve Christ as a free person. If God chooses to give you your freedom, take the opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity. Take advantage of it. The key here is not to be consumed by our present circumstances. So, if you have a lot of debt, 
and you're given the opportunity like Financial Peace University to learn how to pay it off, do it. Take advantage of it. Don't let it consume you though. If you've been offered a promotion at work, you can take it. It's okay. It's not a problem, provided it doesn't consume you. If you're given the opportunity to purchase a house and it's within your means, you can take it. It's okay, as long as it doesn't consume you. That's the principle that Paul has laid out, is don't let your present circumstances take priority over service to your Savior. Why? Because we need to recognize that each of us is employed in full-time Christian ministry. We all are employed in full-time Christian ministry. I actually have major issues with the the term full-time Christian ministry because it's tossed around a lot at Bible colleges and seminaries. And uh, I, I remember the first time I sat in on the seminary course Uh, The teacher got up and he was praising those members of the class who were engaged in full-time Christian ministry because they had given their life for the gospel. And I sat there thinking to myself, what about this guy next to me who works a job for 40 hours a week, tithes based off of that work, then goes to church and serves the church for 10, 15 hours a week, and is now sitting in this seminary class? I think he's making a bigger sacrifice than this guy here who works 40 hours a week for the church and calls it good. Full-time Christian ministry is the call on each of us. Your job, regardless of what it is, should be done in service to your Savior. Look at verse 23. It says, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. You were bought at the price. You already are the slave of Christ. You are a full-time Christian minister. The question is not, are you engaged in full-time Christian ministry? The question is, how good of a job are you doing? That's the real question. If you are a Christ follower, you are a full-time Christian minister. My personal opinion, I think it's time for us to remove the word volunteer from our vocabulary when it comes to the church. None of us are volunteering here. We're all working for our Savior. We're all servants of our Savior. I'm lucky enough that I get a paycheck for it. And I recognize that that is an incredible blessing. But we're all serving our Savior. So let me give you an action step. Ask yourself, am I too preoccupied with trying to change my present circumstances? Am I too preoccupied trying to change the present circumstances that I have that I'm missing the opportunity to serve the Savior? Your present circumstances can be hard. But don't spend all your time worrying about how much money you earn. Guess what? You could always earn more, and your bills could always be more. God can bless with whatever you have. 
Don't spend all your time worrying about whether you own a home or rent a home. Don't spend all your time worrying about whether you found a spouse or are living single. Don't spend all your time worrying about what type of vehicle you drive. Don't spend all your time worrying about whether or not you have children. That one hits me personally hard. Emily and I wanted children for a long time. It wasn't until recently that we got children. Not ours genetically. But we'll take care of anybody's kids happily. (laughs) Don't spend your life trying to change your circumstances. Spend it serving your Savior. Verse 24 is the summary verse. God called you to salvation for a reason. Embrace God's working in your life. God called you for a reason. Embrace God's working in your life. Paul says, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were when God called them. Our responsibility is to God. That's the key. Our responsibility is to God. At the end of the day, at the end of life, we should look for those words in Matthew 25, 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the goal we aim for. Does it mean you can't change your circumstances? No. Paul gave that example with the slavery example earlier. If your circumstances can improve, go for it. But don't let it consume you because your responsibility is to God. He called you to salvation. So you should be preoccupied with God. How is God working in your life? What is God doing in your life? Don't be preoccupied with just the mere situations of life. Your job probably has priorities for those of you who have a job that you're working outside of every other aspect of life. If you have a boss, they set priorities for you. Our priorities need to be God. When I was at the university, they allotted the amount of time that we were supposed to spend in a week. I was supposed to spend 10% of my time on committees. I was supposed to spend 20% of my time doing research, and I was supposed to spend 70% of my time teaching classes. With the end of the week, if I sat down and write down my, wrote down my time, guess what? 10% of my time on committees was completely unrealistic because everybody wanted you on a committee. You had to prioritize your life or else you would blow over your time on committees and never have enough time for your research. And when it came time for promotion, guess what they wanted? Research. It's the same way, though, in life with God. If you allow status to dominate, you will find you never have time for service. We need to throw off the tyranny of status and embrace the identity of servants of Christ. Throw off the tyranny of status. 
embrace your identity as a service of Christ. Let's make it an action step. Ask yourself, how do I need to prioritize my life so that my identity is completely in Christ? Maybe it's prioritizing devotions. Maybe it's prioritizing prayer. Maybe it's prioritizing service. Maybe it's lowering the prioritization of something in your life. School, sports, athletics, you name it. How do you need to reorder your priorities? Reallot the time that you have so that your identity... Father, I thank you that our social economic status is really irrelevant. It's something that actually can get in. I pray that you'd work in our hearts so that our priorities would completely be Christ. So that our identity would be Christ. And I pray that you would do that in our hearts today. That we wouldn't wait until our status changes. That we wouldn't look for an opportunity for it to change. But we would look to make you our priority. To make you our identity. Father, I pray that you would bless us with opportunities to improve life. But never at the expense of opportunities to serve you deeper. Help us to become servants of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.